my friends, and welcome to another super fun, super special episode of Dr. Me First. I am your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman, and I am elated to be on this episode with you today. I am talking with Dr. Nikila Schroeder. Let me tell you all how we met. I got this very formal, very introductory email, and I was like, what? What is this about? Come to find out, Dr. Schroeder's husband is her office business manager for her allergy practice. And he was the one that reached out to me because when I got on the podcast call with Dr. Schroeder, she is pure sunshine and rainbows, not formal (laughs) email letters. But you're going to love this conversation that we have today. And I specifically want to say, please, please, Listen towards the end of our conversation. She tells a story that almost had me in tears. Like I I seriously was holding them back and on mute as she was telling her story, her transformation story from um, what she was doing into what she's doing now. So get into the conversation and then stick around after with that kick of encouragement. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nikila Schroeder. Girl, it is so great to have you on here. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited. I'm really excited too. We've been talking a little bit before we got hopped on the recording. We're going to talk about your word. But before we get into that, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and the amazing work that you're doing in the world? Well, I currently live in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Two years ago, my husband, James, and I decided to open our own allergy clinic called Allergenuity Health and sort of break the mold. We wanted to, to really just trash the old system and just come up with something new. So it's been fantastic and also extremely challenging, but in a whole new way. <laughs> it's like that scary, excited, terrified feeling. Yeah, we love creating things. We love solving problems. So we feel like we're finally getting to do that and hopefully help people in a you know really real way, in a way that connects with our patients and in the future with staff that we may hire. Um, you know, we're, we're setting up our clinic not only for patients, but also so that the work environment is different as well. That was that's another piece that's so important to us. And so it's very exciting for us, um, hopefully exciting for the patients. We've gotten a lot of good feedback, but also there was no uh, checklist or, or book that we could read or list of you know, services anywhere or list of guidance anywhere. And so it's been all those challenges to try to figure out when you're doing something new, what can you Absolutely. do, what can't you do? Yeah. It's like, where's my huge ass medical text for what I need to do this next? And then you realize you're like, oh, there is no right answers. Like you just try things and you do it. And I'm excited to have you come on the podcast to talk about the innovative practice that you guys are doing and, you know, giving some insight to maybe some of the listeners who are thinking about contemplating, like, how do I do medicine differently? Maybe give some encouragement to the people who are in mid-transition 
And then like a big whoop whoop to all of those of us who have like escaped the box. It's so exciting. Oh my gosh. A huge one. A huge whoop whoop for sure. All right. Well, let's jump into your word today, which is actually a combination of three words. So tell me a little bit more about, and I'm going to butcher it, but algenuity. Say it right for me. Sure. Allergenuity. Allergenuity. I knew the allergy part had to come in there, but I didn't get it. That's okay. Allergenuity. Talk all about it. Initially, we tried to uh, talk to some business advisors and things like that. And everybody told us that we shouldn't use the name that we chose for our clinic because it was too hard to pronounce. You know, they're like, you know, some people at the beginning, they're just not going to know how to say it. They're going to look past it, et cetera. And we debated that and we thought about you know, their advice. But in the end, we didn't want to go with their recommendations, you know, to be something like all the other clinics. They wanted us to be like Charlotte Asthma and Allergy or Carolina Asthma and Allergy something, you know, it was just, we were like, well, that's not who we are. We're not, I mean, I love Charlotte and we moved here and it's a great city. You know, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin. So you know, maybe I should name it after Wisconsin. I don't know. You know, like it wasn't really the location itself didn't really do anything for our, our what we were trying to provide. And we were different and we wanted our name to be a little different. So um, we came up with lots of different ideas, but the one we stuck with in the end was Allergenuity Health. And the three concepts and words that came into that name were First one is allergy because we're an allergy clinic um, and that's, you know, the specialty of it. But then genuine caring because that just seems, it seems to be lacking in the kind of mainstream system right now. Not necessarily that doctors don't genuinely care, but that's how a lot of patients I think feel that they're not cared for in the system. And I think that's also how a lot of doctors feel and just healthcare staff that their employers, colleagues, that there's this lack of genuine caring even for themselves and support. And so that just concept of people caring for each other was important. And ingenuity was the third word. So we weren't going to approach allergy care the same way. We wanted to do it differently from the get-go, from how we do evaluations, but then also the types of treatment options we discussed and offered. So, and being open to being creative in those treatment options. So offering standardized care, you know, options, but also offering personalized care or off-label things, depending on what fit for the family. And so we took those three words and three concepts, allergy, genuine caring, and ingenuity, and played with the phonetics of it and put it together to become allergenuity. You know, because as we all are developing our own things or trying to become creative, a name is like, it's like when you name your kids and you know, you sit and you roll it and you roll it and like you become attached to it. But then like also you learn too, like, oh, I can change it at any point. I just got to go to the courthouse and, you know, change my name or when you get married, you know, like, so I think it's, it's another cool component that, you went through the struggle of like, what do we call this? Do we conform to what all the quote unquote experts say we should do? Or do we try to go a little bit off the cuff mm-hmm. with it and just like, just see. And what I always remind myself now, because I've gone through a, sh- a few shifts is like, this is what it is now and it'll probably change and that's okay. Yeah. It's, it's something that we came to that same conclusion too, is that, okay, 
this is how we want to approach it now. And the whole point of this is to be creative and to, to learn and grow and figure out how we can best be of service, figure out how we can live our life the way we want to and help patients have the life there, you know, and the health and the life that they're looking for. Cause this is, that's, that's it, right? That's how the quality of our lives are, what our health is, you know, how our relationships are. And all of that is constantly able to change. And, and so we just kind of rolled with it. And we said, if, if it for some reason becomes a huge deal that people aren't coming to our clinic because they can't figure out how to say our name, okay, then we'll change it. But up front, we wanted to be different. We wanted to show people from the get-go we're different. And our name has done that. That's what I was going to ask. Have you seen where it's been an impairment or where it's actually been an accelerant? It's actually been an accelerant, I think. It's, I mean, some people, a lot of people don't know how to say it. You know, people call us and they'll fumble a little bit with it. And that's fine. And it's just (laughs) people have been doing that to my first name my whole life. So I'm used to that and it's okay. Um, and then you, you share how to say it and then they're like, oh, okay, this is how you say it. And it's no big deal. But I do think it's caught people's attention that it is different because they look through, you know, they're looking at reviews or they're looking at all the clinics in town and it's very confusing because all the names sound very similar. And then they're like, oh, here's this other clinic that clearly is different. I mean, it's on its own. It doesn't match the pattern and it has good reviews so it catches their attention and we've gotten a lot, we've had a lot of people call us and or come and, and be patients of ours. That first part was finding our name. So, um, and, and noticing that we were different and they were looking for something different. They were tired, you know, of what they were getting in the traditional system. So. Awesome. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Talk about how you and your husband work together. Talk about how you guys are doing things a little bit differently. There, one of the differences, I guess, is that my husband, James, and I do work together for the clinic. And right now we're the only people at the clinic. So we started our clinic very organically, just, hey, we want to do this. Let's make a plan. And um, we debated getting investors. We talked to, you know, financial investors and things like that. And we debated starting big, you know, getting the big loan, getting the big flashy clinic and doing that, which for some people works really well, you know, but it just wasn't us. We wanted to provide the quality that we, you know, high quality care, just wanted people to get to know us and start from there. And we wanted to see how it was going and then make tweaks and grow and just grow at a pace that we could handle and not feel overwhelmed because it was all new (laughs) or it is. I mean, it still feels pretty new. So a lot of people, uh, sometimes by the way we handle ourselves or, or how our website looks and things, they they think we have this big clinic. And then if they haven't fully read that it's James and I that work there, things like that, you know, when they show up, they're a little like, where's the nurse? Oh, <laughs> oh, you're married. Where's the nurse? Where's the MA? Where's like all the staff? Why is there not this like buzzing, you know, like hectic feel? Why do we feel like we just walked into a home? And we did that on purpose. So our clinic is very kind of cozy and home-like. It's Right now, um, just three, three to four rooms, some common space, very open, a lot of sunlight, some carpeting in some areas, which as an allergist, I didn't love, love, but we managed, we figured out a system for that since we liked the place so much. It was brand new carpeting and we have excellent ways to clean it and we clean it a ton. And it's actually worked out great because we see so many people of all ages, but of course, within that, lots of young children and they just feel so comfortable 
they kick off their shoes, sometimes their socks. We find those under our couches. They just roll on the floor. They draw. You know, I play with them while I'm doing part of their consult, stuff like that. And it's just, it takes a lot of that fear out of it for, I think, some of these children, especially who have, you know, felt this, the anxiety and the strain of, of certain doctor appointments. Yeah, being in like a super sterile, cold yeah. place. Like, yeah. Because definitely as you as a specialist, like this is like not their first visit ever. They've had to somehow get to you typically. Right. And so, yeah. Well, I love that, that you've set up the environment for what you want to have so that your patients on the initial just walk in the door feel it as well. Yeah. And we feel like we're going from one home to another home for our work day too, which is nice. Like we feel comfortable in our office. And then the other aspects of what we kind of do differently for patients is we've made it more comfortable because we want to spend more time with our patients. So an initial consult, you know, I always felt so strained in the, when I worked in various places in in the traditional healthcare model to, you know, I had to knock things out and get things done, or I had to hear someone else's report and made, make some decisions for that patient based on that, and then walk in and see the patient for a couple minutes, give, you know, an impression or explain a couple key things and move on to somebody else. And that was never that some people can do that. That is just not my style. And as a patient myself in various things, that's not my style either. That's, I like to be thorough. Some patients want fast, but some patients want thorough and and they feel strained in the system right now that they can't get that. And so we set up our clinic for those types of patients and for, for my style, you know, to, to fit with that, to say, Hey, if you've been to various doctors and then a bunch of allergists and you're just not getting what you need in the system. And now not only do you have your health problems, but you're just so stressed and confused about the information and you go on the internet and you're in these groups and now you're just like overwhelmed, right? And you need to reset and you need to build trust with somebody. Here's a place you can do that. Let's, I blocked off two hours for you or sometimes three hours. Let's get to know each other. And, and you're not going to be uncomfortable while we do it. Like you can have something to drink, sit down, let's relax your kids. You know, here's a play area and they're super, they're right here. And, you know, we're talking and, and I'm going to get to know your child if it's a child patient, you know, as well. So that the first thing I do to them isn't poke and prod them. The first thing I do is they see me sitting on the floor with them playing, you know? Um, So eventually if I do have to do skin tests on them, well, Hey, we've had an hour or (laughs) more of just happy times, you know, talking and playing and I'm not just doing an exam really quick or having them poked and prodded for a blood draw or skin testing. So we have kind of these really extensive initial consults, which put a lot of patients at ease, help me get to really know them because each family can be so different on what they need. And now I finally can properly assess that and then give them a better plan. And, and then the other, so that's, you know, our care piece of it. We try to have a lot more access to me directly and let me get to know patients and families, the whole family better. Sometimes a dad and a mom have different ideas of what they want for their child. And if I don't know that, I can't address that <laughs> and I can't help them get on the same page and, and, you know, figure out how we can move forward. But now I can. So then, then the last piece of how we're, we're trying to be different is that there's a very, the allergy field right now mainly focuses on allergy shots as the main form of immunotherapy. And there's a newer form of immunotherapy that's getting a lot of 
uh, news time and support and funding in the allergy field for food allergies, which is called oral immunotherapy. But there is also another form of immunotherapy that is kind of not as much, there's definitely not as much talked about and feels kind of like the underdog in the field. But I really think it's probably the most versatile and most useful form of immunotherapy, at least for, the, for like a first line attempt. And it's called sublingual immunotherapy. I'm excited about this. Yeah. So I am a chronic allergy shotter for like decades. Okay. And so when you were started talking about and your email to me about the sublingual, I was like, tell me more. <laughs> so yeah. And, and just so you know, I'm a DO. Okay. So I'm a little fringe at times. So don't be afraid to go there. So yeah, like, so tell us the good, bad, ugly with sublingual because I know nothing about it. I'll be perfectly honest. Awesome. No, I, I love, I love explaining it because when I first started to explore it, it just, I was like, what, why is no one talking about this? Like this just makes sense. It makes from this, my scientist hat, you know, it makes sense from my doctor hat and made sense from a patient perspective, because I'm also an allergy sufferer. <laughs> Not why I became an allergist by any means that I became an allergist for many other reasons, but uh, it wound up helping me in the end too. So uh, sublingual immunotherapy means that you're using the oral mucosa in the mouth, specifically the sublingual space, but I, I have some nuances to that. So it's not always under the tongue, but, but that's kind of the general gist that you use the space under the tongue to communicate with the immune system and deliver the allergens that the immune system has made mistakes about. And through that, you can do a lot of different things. You can try to kind of push things quickly and, and rapidly desensitize a system and kind of block things up and get someone quicker relief. You can go kind of the long haul and try to retrain an immune system and really rewire it to remember that these things are harmless and it should build tolerance instead of, you know, going the other path and getting aggravated and inflamed and activated. There's a lot of flexibility to it, a lot of nuance. And the features that make it so wonderful are that if done well, it can be done really safely which means that you can use it for essentially any age, down to as early as you need, down to infancy if you need it that early, of course, at any age, children or adult. You can use it for both environmental and food allergens. And then you have all that flexibility of what you, you know, attempt to do with it. Do you push to high doses fast? Do you go lower and slower? How, you know, what does the patient need? What are the goals? What is the risk-benefit balance to different options? And you can if you're willing to kind of work with that, get experience with it and take the time to figure out what the patient needs and what the treatment can do, then you can develop a personalized plan for each person that can really try to get at their goals and do it as safely yeah, as possible. Optimize their health yeah. as well in the meantime. And you can do, since it's mostly a home-driven treat or a home-performed treatment, that means that their need for coming to the doctor's office after their initial yes. <laughs> is, is much reduced, which is a huge issue with shots, as clearly you know. And, and it can be done, you know, for the typical course, the three to five years, just similar to allergy shots that, you know, the immune system really just needs that time to try to solidify some changes. Or for the people who do require longer term maintenance, which might be for a, a food allergy or for 
some people with environmental allergies that it just you get the relief, but you don't get the long-term changes because of other factors of the immune system. It's a lot easier to maintain long-term to take little drops under your tongue at home <laughs> and work that, you know, it's just like a little medicine or something that you would just take long-term. That's what I was going to ask. So like the physical part of it is actually, you know, cause like the shot, it's like the serum, they draw it up, yep. you know, stick it in here or whatever. So this is more like a dropper bottle. And you do it that way? Or do you like measure it out? Tell me more. Yeah. So some clinics use a dropper bottle. Right now I use what's called a a meter dose pumper, I think, something like that pump bottle. It's a bottle that that has been designed with a little pumper on the top to dispense a particular amount of fluid. So I do all the work behind the scenes and all the math to figure out, you know, what dosing I want, which allergens I want. And I can put those, I can make different mixtures of those just like for allergy shots, you know, it's tailored to someone's allergens. And so we can use the same pharmaceutical grade allergen extracts that would be injected for allergy shots or used for skin testing for foods. That's what I use then to put into a sublingual immunotherapy treatment bottle. And then those are the allergens that just get pumped out in a regulated amount under the tongue. So, and then, yeah, you just put it little droplets in your mouth and that's it. Well, and you think intuitively to me as I'm sitting here and listening to your talk, I'm like, this makes so much <laughs> sense. Like, think about how, like, our oral mucosa, like the absorption of it. That's, I mean, that's why topical stuff doesn't work because it doesn't penetrate through your dermis. And like, it's <laughs> on my mind right now. Just oh, so God. you know, like, I'm like, yes, of course, this, this kind of makes sense. Okay. So, pitfalls though, like, and again, just speaking from my own experience, like I would get the huge big swellings. Like, does that happen in people's mouths or do you just start so low and you just monitor real close? Yeah, great question. So there's sort of a spectrum of how you can use sublingual immunotherapy. And there's basically at least two main types. So there are FDA approved standardized slit tablets available. They are single allergen, so like, you know, ragweed. or they don't have, they only have a few at this time. So there's not a whole bunch, but there's like ragweed and there's like the grass one and dust mite. And so those uh, have a little bit of a different side effect profile because it is a standardized dose. And so overall still a lot safer than allergy shots, but the side effect profile there is largely going to be oral. And for some people it can be quite significant. So itching, tingling the mouth, burning, that kind of stuff, sore throat, because it's a standardized dose. So some people do great with it, get relief and don't have side effects. Other people often get relief, but have to tolerate these side effects and maybe take a medicine just for taking the immunotherapy, just like for pre-treating for allergy shots. Some people have to do that. So it's, it's possible to have side effects. And certainly if the dose is too high um, or higher than someone's body mouth can handle, you know, it, it could give some side effects, but they're typically local. What I do is add the layer of flexibility to that because, again, thinking about how the immune system works, there are a couple ways we could go go through things. If we need to make a fast change, that's going to wind up being a trick on the immune system, right? The immune system is so complex, as we all know as physicians, and it does all these things. And if it has decided to be allergic to certain things and you're making IgE and you have all these primed mast cells and mesophils and and your body's ready to mount an allergic immune response when it sees that trigger, there's no way to quickly change that. There's so many, it's a spider web of things in effect. 
So if you need to quickly change that, you're going to have to manipulate and trick the immune system in a, in a particular way. And it's kind of cool when we can do that, and we can do that, but it comes at risk of side effects. And it's not, as, it's not a robust change, right? Um, if we take the trick away, or if you know, that tight line that you have to walk to maintain the trick goes away, then things slip back because your cells are still primed in a certain way and you're, you still have plasma cells making IgE and you know, B cells that are influenced a certain way. So we do those sorts of rapid desensitization tricks in the hospital for like a drug allergy, right? Uh, and so that can get applied by any other means in um, private practice or in, you know, outside the hospital for through allergy shots or through sublingual immunotherapy or oral immunotherapy, but it comes with some of those side effects. So the alternative is to kind of slow things down and say, Hey, we're not trying to trick the immune system. So yes, within a day or a week or a month, you know, we're not trying to make it such that, you know, it's all plugged up and can't respond. We're trying to just remind it, hey, these things aren't a danger. There's no danger signals on these items. You've, you've misinterpreted and now created a response that's causing the health problem. The item itself is not the health problem. And so to do that, I try to dose people where they don't have a lot of symptoms. So if I give them a certain, if I think, okay, with your history and all these things, you could be dosed at a certain level. And I try that and they're like, my mouth is tingly and itchy. It's usually just minor, but then I say, okay, well, if it's not transient and like disappears within a minute, I'm going to give you, let's reduce those doses a little bit more. Let's do a couple months on that or a few months on that. Let's try these doses again. And what we'll see is that, you know, hey, I can start them comfortably at whatever doses I need to. And then when we return to the doses they had trouble with, lo and behold, they don't have trouble anymore. So things have changed enough if you give the immune system some time. And if you just go gradually and you wait that time, you know, we do need to somewhat outweight those long-term plasma cells if those have been developed. And we don't have a diagnostic test telling us that ahead of time. So we don't know who has them and who doesn't, but they're probably in there for many people. And that's why it seems like you need those three to five years at least for most people on immunotherapy to take it away and then have see the long-term changes. But that's, that's the beauty of sublingual immunotherapy is that I can be really flexible with whatever I need to do. And it's all based on how the patient responds to the, the treatment. And we can go up, we can go down, we can hold at the same dose and do whatever we need to do, which is, which I is awesome. It. I love it. It's, it's just so cool. <laughs> so how, from your experience, what, what has it been like to practice differently? Do you, do you feel like you're a unicorn in the allergy world now and people are just like staring at you like, what is she doing? Have you gotten pushback? Have you gotten anything? Because I ask this because being a coach to physicians, that's the first thing that people pops in their head. They're like, oh my God, what are my colleagues going to think if I do this thing that I really want to do and I think is really cool, but it's kind of fringe. What's been your experience? To all those things you said, yes. I, when I was in fellowship and I started to have some questions, you know, about, I started to get more interested in how could we actually intervene in someone's allergy course? You know, there's the atopic march where a lot of people who become allergic early then like keep developing more allergic conditions. And so sure, I was learning about all these medications and some of the typical ones, but then some really cool new biologics and all these things. But the cool new biologics, while I thought it was interesting, you know, and cool scientifically, 
tons of money, right, to pay for them and invasive, mostly injections. So again, coming to the doctor's office and the risks from injections and the pain from injections that if people have other options, you know, they might want to not. And if you're doing all the infusion stuff, doing yeah, like you got to sit in the office yeah. for all that. And, and it just, it made me think about, okay, well, and all of those things are just kind of plugging stuff up or blocking things, but nothing is getting to the, the underlying cause of why is the immune system attack, like trying to build a response to things that sh- it should ignore, you know, where's that coming from? And and why does it happen for some people and not others, right? Why do some people tolerate being around cats and other people, they're, they're going to be in the hospital? You know, what's happening? Or same thing with peanut or milk or something like that. So, um, and of course, that's, I mean, that's a whole other complex topic that we don't have a full answer to, but we know it's multifactorial. And I started to just wonder, you know, well, what are other ways? Can I come up with a different way? Can I be creative? And I have an engineering background and I've always been an outside the box kind of thinker and wanted to create things and develop things. So I was never scared of being like, well, if it doesn't exist, maybe I can figure something out. But I, you know, in order to do that, I was doing some research to figure out, well, what have people done? What, what are options? And I started to just go back to basics. How does the immune system work? Where do we first develop tolerance and what organs in our body are designed to parse out what's dangerous, what, where do we, you know, what should we tolerate and how does that work? And the best, I love to give this imagery to um, patients, but it's good for, I think, physicians as well, who maybe haven't gone down the rabbit hole that I have, <laughs> um, is we all can conjure up the image of a baby, um, you know, five, six months old, trying to learn how to sit and reaching and grabbing everything. And what do all, what do babies do when they reach out and grab something? their foot or some, a toy, they put it straight in their mouth and they suck on it and they don't eat it per se. You know, there's that extrusion reflex at the beginning where you put something in their mouth and they're going to suck on it, but spit it out. Right. And lots of, I remember doing that with my children where I started to try to feed them and oh, there it goes right back out. <laughs> but what they do is they kind of mush it around in their mouth and they suck on things. And it really makes sense why they're doing that from the immune system perspective, because the cells in the mouth are there to process the world around that baby and say, okay, this, we are in an area that is, you know, the orifice to take in essential things in the world. We need to, we're going to experience what's in the air. We're going to experience what's in water. We're going to experience what's in the environment and you know the surroundings of this creature. And we are going to, if it's here a lot and frequently, it's probably something we need to deal with. If it has danger signals on it or comes infrequently or, you know, penetrates through something in a strange way, then it's probably something we should fight. And so it's really the gateway to developing that immunologic tolerance. And that really caught my attention because the skin barrier is kind of another area like that, the outside of our skin. Those immune cells are trying to learn what to tolerate, but just underneath, if something pierces the skin those immune cells are there to send up the alarm bells and say, hey, danger, let's mount an immune response. So in the mouth, we have more of those tolerance-promoting dendritic cells or Langerhans cells. And I just thought, well, gosh, if that's where they are, shouldn't we use those to try <laughs> to try to reroute an immune system gone wrong um, from the allergy pathway? So I thought I was, you know, oh my gosh, maybe I'll invent this whole new thing. And I started to do more digging and realized, okay, there are places that have been using 
the oral route to try to desensitize or retrain the immune system for about just as long as allergy shots. A lot of that work has been done in Europe versus the United States. But in the 80s or 90s, there was even, there was enough interest there to, and enough from their kind of governing bodies, medical governing bodies to say, well, what we're seeing of allergy shots and the sublingual route for immunotherapy is similar efficacy. We're seeing really good things on both accounts, but the sublingual route is a lot safer. So maybe we need to formally study this a little bit more. And, and then they did. And then they were like, okay, maybe we need to support this a lot more. And that's actually become a mainstream way of treating environmental allergens in Europe. And so there's more studies there. Um, and then it started to get into some foods a little bit. And so I thought, wow, like there's even some, you know, study data and formalized data that further confirms why this would be such a useful route. And I started to ask questions and got a lot of pushback, you know, a lot of, oh, well, it's not FDA approved, so it's probably not good. Well, that's not what FDA approval means. That's not what it's there for. So I didn't really love those answers. And I started to become interested in wanting to do this and learn about it, get firsthand experience so that I could see, well, if it's useless, then forget it. But if it's useful, then what a great tool. And when I started to go that route to get to your question, I started to get a lot of pushback. So some of the mentors that I greatly, you know, appreciate their perspectives and have learned so much from, you know, were, I think, well-meaning towards me, um, were saying, hey, I'm glad you have these questions. And yeah, it might be something good to learn about, but don't go that route. That's, you know, you have a good academic reputation, like that's going to hurt that, you know, don't go work for a clinic that, that primarily offers this. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that maybe they're kind of voodoo doctors or maybe they're, you know, like it's just, we don't understand it. And so it's not the best reputation. Right. So that was hard because I already started to feel the pressure to not stray from the typical but I really wanted to. I felt like I waited all out and I was like, I think I'd be missing a great opportunity to actually help more patients and to really learn about something useful. So I did it anyway, which was tough. And I lost some support from people that were really important to me. And, and that was really hard professionally. I'd worked so hard, you know, to have a great academic reputation. I, I love science. I love research. And to like leave that and to have some of that pressure and some of that you know, strange looks and strange conversations behind my back sort of thing was tough. And I went to a clinic that focused on offering this so that I could learn and potentially stay there, um, even though in the end I chose not to for a lot of reasons. And while I was there, I tried to go out in the community and, you know, meet other physicians and, and they'd ask me what I do. And anytime they heard where I worked and what I do, I got just so much from other allergists mainly, so much they kind of pulled away, you know, and they were, they were kind of like, why are you doing that? And um, even some older allergists would look at me, one in particular, I remember a, a conversation with him where he was like, I don't know you very well, but you sound really smart and you sound put together and you, you know, you come from a good educational background. Like you're literally throwing your, your degree in the trash by working where you're working and doing sublingual immunotherapy. Like, why are you doing that to yourself? You could be doing so many other things and instead you're just trashing your reputation. And it's hard to hear that kind of stuff when you, <laughs> you've worked so hard and you're like, I'm actually trying to build a better way. But some people are looking at me thinking I've gone off you know, the rails and now I'm doing like, 
witchcraft um, or something that is not science-based, but it's purely because they don't know or they're not willing to listen. Whereas on the flip side, I had a lot of positive experiences with non-allergists who are like, hey, tell me more because I've had patients struggle with allergy shots and either have anaphylaxis to their shots or not be able to keep up with the appointments or have big swollen arms or have an asthma flare or, you know, I'm trying to help this person with food allergies and there's nothing I can do for them. Or, you know, now that there's oral immunotherapy, some of the struggles with that or, you know, terrible eczema that's keeping kids home from school. And what can we safely do? We can't do allergy shots for them, but, you know, and the medicines aren't working. Right. So I had a lot of interest from, from those types of colleagues um, who would actually listen. And then when I'd share about it, you know, they were actually thinking about it and they're like, that makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of this strange balance where my colleague, my direct colleagues, since I wasn't doing what they were doing, I think some were interested, but felt like they couldn't for their own pressures, you know, open up and like ask me more. So then they would be silent and then other people would be outwardly, you know, kind of against what I was trying to do and, and telling me that I was ruining, you know, my reputation and, and that I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. So it was a big, it's been a big weight. It's continued to be a big weight. Although, you know, I, I, I still, I believe so much in what I'm doing and I've seen the results of it. So I have no doubts, but it was hard when we moved to Charlotte to open this clinic. And our plan was to add to the landscape here in that um, North Carolina had the highest diagnostic rate of food allergies. So when we were figuring out where to open our clinic, we said, hey, maybe we could be of some use there. And then, of course, this whole region of the country just has so much environmental allergy. So we said, okay, mm-hmm. let's move here and we can be a center that help, is able you know, to be another option for patients. So we know some people were doing oral immunotherapy, all the other clinics do allergy shots. Um, and so we're like, hey, now we'll add sublingual immunotherapy to the mix. And that way patients can, can get a good fit. You know, what, is, what are their goals? What do they need? What are their risk factors? Balance it all out. And now we have all these options, right? So we came, came here and we tried to meet people and say, hey, <laughs> we're here and this is what we can offer. What do you offer? So we know who to send to you and here's what we do. So, and um, it just didn't work. We learned, unfortunately, through experience and through talking to some of the other solo practice allergists in town that that's just not the landscape here. And it's not kind of a community team effort to help patients. It's, it's very competitive. And so I was quickly seemingly labeled, you know, in certain ways that kind of outcast me. So I I've built connections with a lot of the solo practices for allergy, which is fantastic. And they're fantastic physicians. And then a lot of the non-allergists in the community but it's been hard. I've been on panels with other allergists for various things, trying to, to, to help in the community. And um, you, the tension is palpable and it's sad. And if they won't listen, you know, then I'm open to listening to whatever they want to say, but it doesn't feel like they're very open to listening to what I want to say. There's just the prejudgments and, and the fact that I'm doing it differently. So yeah, personally and professionally, it's been tough. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience. And I know somebody out there who's listening right now, you just talk directly to their soul because either they're going through that or they're fearing that's what's going to happen. And so I just so appreciate you opening your heart up and sharing that because like you said, it's, it's not a no, like this is bad. It's just people, it's a not yet. Yeah. You don't know yet. Right. 
And I just want to lift you up and elevate you and commend you for the great work that you're doing and the perseverance that you've had. If people are interested in reaching out to you, understanding more about how you set this practice up, want to know more about sublingual immunotherapy, what are going to be the best ways to get a hold of you? We have a few ways. Probably they're all pretty good. Our office phone, we either answer the office or it rolls over to our cell phones. So that number is 704 750-0461. Also on our website, we have a contact form. If you know people want to look through things on our website and they want to reach out, there's a little form that should make it pretty easy and that goes to our email. Or we also just have our email listed out on our website. So our website is allergenuityhealth.com. I presume somewhere you'll have that spelling. <laughs> Oh, it'll be, yeah, all in the show notes, all in the show notes. Um, okay. And then, and then, yeah, our email is hello at allergenuityhealth.com. So those are pretty good ways to reach out. James, my husband, does a lot of the kind of public facing stuff with our social media. So that's another way uh, people, people get to us is with Facebook or I suppose Twitter. I haven't, I haven't bridged into Twitter as much yet, but he does a lot of That's why he's the office manager. You just let him handle all that shit. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad for him because I'm, I'm like, I, I'm a doctor and I never like thought I'd have to know about like how to be a doctor on Twitter. So like, I'm not there yet. (laughs) So I'm like, you can tweet about something. Like I'm just going to do what I do. And at some point we we are all work in progress. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Well, Dr. Schroeder, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing the innovation that you're doing in the world and just keep up the good work. Thank you so much for the support. And like you said, I hope, I hope this helped somebody know that it can be tough, but there's so many awesome reasons to just follow your passion and do what you believe in and, and what you know is helping patients and yourself, you know, live the way you want and be the doctor you want to be. I told you. Wasn't it such an amazing story? I mean, her whole story is amazing, but definitely there towards the end, it really pulled at my heartstrings because I totally feel that. I totally feel like there's been plenty of times where I've been fringe and I've not been status quo. And somewhere deep down inside, though, there was a voice that just said, keep going. Like, this is what you need to be doing. And so for Dr. Schroeder and for all the other women physicians out there who are a little bit fringe, who are pushing against status quo, who are doing things differently, I tell you in this kick of encouragement, keep going. Keep going. Don't let it stop. There is a reason that you are doing things differently. And it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because... uh It hasn't been proven scientifically yet. You've done your research. You know. You know. So I want to encourage you to keep going. And I also want to encourage you, please, please keep flying your freak flag. Because if you stop flying your flag, us other freaks, we can't find you. I am so eternally grateful for Dr. Schroeder's husband for reaching out and connecting me with her. I feel like I've found a whole new content contact. But I wouldn't have that if she had stayed passive and small and stopped flying her flag. So I say that to you. Keep putting up the signals because guess what? The rest of us out here, 
who feel all alone, who feel like we're the only one that's doing something different, we need you and we need each other. So please keep going and keep flying your freak flag. So important. If you want more conversations like this, if you want to connect with other women who are daring to step out, who are saying no more, who who want to be a total fucking badass, you need to get into my burned out to badass group. Okay, I know the deadline is passed, but I will still let you come in. If you email me, if you sign up, you will still be in the group. I absolutely promise. I believe so strongly in this that we all need community. We all need to be surrounded by people who are going to lift us up, who are going to support us and not stomp on our heads and keep us small. So I'm talking to you today. Go sign up. And remember, your life, your calling, your pulse. Heavy lids